Over the years, I've struggled to figure out exactly how to talk about my faith and my mysticism and all the different things that go into my life. And a lot of that struggle has been not wanting to alienate people. I am primarily a Christian, and I have some very strongly held religious beliefs. And it can be really troubling to share them. And so while this isn't a confessional episode where I'm going to go through and just kind of lay out everything that I believe, I kind of want to talk about the difficulty in talking about what we believe today. He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. Eyes unclouded by hate. Hello, my name is Charlie. I'm a non binary sci fi fantasy writer, and a lot has happened in my life recently that I haven't really discussed much here. The biggest one being that I am now on the board of directors for the Creation Spirituality Communities. And that is taking up a lot of my time. But I'm not going to be talking about that too much in all of this. But it has brought me to some realizations about some things that I need to be doing for myself. So, yeah, I have really had a hard time discussing my own personal beliefs because... I don't want this podcast to be about me. I don't want spirituality to be about me. I don't want religion to be about me. And I have tried over the years to talk about what other people have said and to present that information as best as I can so that we can have those discussions. But it's been tricky not to bring in my own personal beliefs or takes or understanding of a lot of these issues. And a lot of that came down to this weird notion that I've had in the back of my head of who am I to share? Who am I to say what it is that I feel, believe? Who am I to state my opinions, my beliefs, in a way that some people might think are true. Now, I have talked about truth a lot over the years. The YouTube channel has a video about the problem of truth. I've written about it extensively. I've even done some episodes about it, and I think every time I mention anything, I talk about the problem of truth especially when it comes to spiritual, mystical, or religious topics. 
And because truth is so problematic, a lot of us on the left shy away from expressing ours. See, I grew up in what I would call an evangelical cult. I was not encouraged to think for myself. In fact, I was encouraged very much to stay in groupthink, to follow the leaders, to keep my heads down, to not listen to my heart, to do what I was told and not what I felt was right. And as a result of that, I don't want to even risk doing that to somebody else. I don't want anyone to think that I am somehow a holder of truth. It's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed when I did the training with the Charter for Compassion, their use of the term vision keeper. Because that does feel much more appropriate to the work at hand. I am a vision keeper. And I'm trying to keep the vision for the community. And in certain contexts, that works. But in this context, on the new Substack at creationspaths.substack.com, link in the show notes, I really can't hem and haw or just rely on what other people say. Because... I don't want to be constantly making appeals to authority because I don't know that there truly are authorities on these matters. But also, I feel like when I do share, it matters to people. And that is something that we really need to talk about. thing that we do as a community is make meaning together. And that can't happen if we're silent. That can't happen if we are keeping to ourselves and we're not actually sharing our experiences, our stories. This is why a lot of religious movements feel stale and old. You can feel their antiquity creaking inside them, and others feel vibrant and alive and filled with so much newness and life. And that boils down to whether or not the members of that community are sharing their experiences. See, if I were to keep doing what I've been doing and fossilize the ideas of creation spirituality in to what Matthew Fox has written about them, and maybe even bring in some of the other people who have written on the topic, I, I, I'm, I'm fossilizing it. I'm freezing it in place. I'm not allowing it to grow. I'm not allowing it to develop. If I were to do that with my Christian faith or my mystical practice, I would be doing the same thing. While it may be vibrant and alive and filled with so much life and life, light and life, it wouldn't be to anybody that I'm talking to about it. And this is why we, as a community, 
We need to share. We need to talk about our experiences in prayer. It always astounds me that when I read an old meditation text and hear the monks, and let's face it, they're very often monks, talking about their experience of the tabernacle light that shines around them when they are in deep, concentrated meditation. And I don't see modern, living Christians talking about it in the same way. Not that they have to use the same language or share the same experience, but when I don't see that conversation even happening, it feels like something of the past, like something in a museum long ago in the days of yore. But I, I have those experiences too. And when I sit down with fellow practitioners and discuss our experiences in meditation, many often share their experiences with this tabernacle light. And I know it's an experience that didn't go away because the texts that I'm talking about primarily are from the late Middle Ages, early uh, modern age, right there in the Renaissance. But we can go even further into all of the things that the Quakers wrote about this experience. They had it too. And you poke around a little bit and you start finding it a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit everywhere. But we stopped sharing. Because there's this feeling that when we share our experience or our faith, one, we're either magnifying our own sense of importance or we're trying to impose our beliefs on others. Now, this is something that many of our compatriots in very conservative versions of our faiths do. They are trying to convert people. And I am not, and I dare say many of you probably aren't either. See, I don't believe in conversion. I don't think that Jesus came to convert us. I don't think that Paul, for the most part, wanted to convert us. I think that what they wanted to do was help us to see who we actually are and to be more that person. I mean, after all, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly, not that I came so that I could change everything about them because they're horrible, corrupt, and wicked people. And so, in shutting ourselves off from sharing, all we're doing is making our faith seem antique and keeping it from having the vibrancy that it really could have if we were to bring these experiences into new metaphors and new words and phrases. sort of living faith is akin to what Hildegard of Bingen refers to as veriditas, as green wisdom, as greening, keeping everything connected and alive and vibrant. And it's the thing that we really aren't that good at doing, especially those of us who aren't in the evangelical cult world. See, 
they're meaning-making factories. And it's not generally meaning that has any good or virtuous purpose. You see, many in the Christian world have figured out that if they can convince people that they are in fact prophets and that they are in fact speaking on behalf of God, that they can make money. And so these claims generally go hand in hand. Hi, I am a prophet. Let me give to you the word of wisdom, the word of the Lord. And uh, while I'm giving you this word, why don't you give me all of your money? Because if you don't give me all of your money, then God won't like you very much. Yeah, I'm oversimplifying it a bit, but there is such a close connection between these two ideas of, I am a prophet of the Lord and give me all your money, that it turns off a lot of us who do want to speak with that prophetic voice, whether that's simply interfering with basic injustice in the world, because we feel it deep down as a sense of righteous indignation, or those of us who have a practical lived spirituality and mysticism who are encountering the divine in innumerable ways. We don't want to be perceived as charlatans that are out for money and power and clout and all of the things that go with it. So we stay quiet. We close ourselves off. We keep ourselves from having the conversations that we need to have for sharing the insights that we have gained and garnered through our practice, through our work, and thus leaving this sense of antiquity about our faith. And it's troubling to me. It's something that I am trying to stop doing and that I want to encourage you all to stop doing as well. Yeah, people may look at me differently. Yeah, people may not be willing to take in anything that I'm going to say. And yes, that might be off-putting to certain segments of the population, but that's a risk that I feel like we need to be taking. Yes, I I do believe things, and I believe them very strongly. Yes, I have a very strong sense of morality. And it's not moralizing to talk about it. See, for the most part, my sense of morals do not interfere with the lives of others. I, I try not, and usually don't, care what a person does in their private lives unless... It has something to expose some hypocrisy. For example, the anti-gay preachers who have boyfriends on the side. I kind of care about your private life then because you're being a hypocrite. The people who are preaching abstinence and the nuclear family as if that's a thing that's existed for a long time and have all of the mistresses and the cocaine and the wild party boats... Yeah, when hypocrisy is involved, I do care about people's private lives. But 
most of what I feel is our moral obligation in this world is to do good for each other, to work justice for each other, and not to be petty and vindictive. I don't feel like I am at risk of becoming somebody who will be overly moralizing. Because, honestly, I don't care what people do in their private lives. I don't see myself as somebody who's liable to become a money-grubbing televangelist, because I don't even remember to tell people that I have books out on my podcast and in my other media where I explicitly talk about my books. I don't remember to tell people, hey, would you like to buy the book? Hey, would you like to support me on this platform or that platform? Because it is just not who I am. I'm there to tell the story and I forget about the monetization. We need to move forward. We need to talk. We need to share this green wisdom with others so that the faith can grow and flourish and people's lives can be improved so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. As usual, this podcast episode is really hard for me to record. Because as I am doing it, we're living in the aftermath of the mass shooting in Colorado Springs, and we have so many states moving to outlaw gender-affirming care for children. And this, to me, is a great injustice. And this is where we stopped growing. So many of my heroes have talked about the need to understand that God is not a male. That God is not a he. And many of them have put forward the idea of God as a she. In fact, the first principle of creation spirituality is that right now, God is as much female as male, and that we need to kind of focus on the defined feminine in order to bring balance. And I don't disagree with any of that. I I sit here talking to you, recording this, while looking at my Salvatrix Mundi, and surrounded by all of my images of the Blessed Mother, and my Bridget's, my Morgan, my St. Julian, my husband's St. Martha, even the beautiful portrait of Lilith that we have on the wall. And I'm, I'm not opposed to talking about the divine feminine. But God is not gendered. God is not male or female. God is not a thing at all. And if we can't be open and honest about that, then I don't know how we are going to be able to share anything in our faith that means anything at all. God, as we understand God, is at minimum a process. It is 
the energies that we can interact with. We can say God is love, and we can experience that divine love in action, in prayer, in meditation, in life. We can say that God is justice because we can participate in those energies of justice, and justice making, and interfering with injustice. We can say that God is masculine in that we can participate in those energies as well, in the same way that we can say that the divine is feminine and participate in those energies. But the, that which we are talking about, the divine itself, themselves, is not gendered. God is beyond all of these words that we want to apply to them. And while I don't expect everybody to accept the non-binary framing with which I generally refer to God, unless I'm very specifically talking about an energy or an aspect of God that generally has a gendered expression, when I talk about the compassion of God, I very often say she, because we have coded compassion as something that is feminine. In fact, in Hebrew and Arabic, the word for compassion is connected to the word for womb. It has a motherly context. When we talk about God, our Savior, our Divine Protector, we often use the word He. And whether or not we should be reinforcing any of that gendered language or not is a topic for another day. But we have to be honest with who we are. We have to stop ossifying. We have to stop freezing ourselves in these conversations and continue to move forward. It's not enough to just say, well, God is a woman and move on. Because that is as inaccurate a statement as saying God is a man. The actual substance of God, the actual thingness if there is such a thing of the divine, is so far beyond our understanding that we in the Christian faith have constructed a koan to talk about it. I cannot think of the one without thinking of the three or the three without thinking of the one. I cannot think of the father without thinking of the son and the spirit or the spirit without thinking of the father and the son. I cannot think of the son without thinking of the father and the spirit. For the three are one, and the one are three. And this is the basic metaphor that we've chosen. And does it make sense? It is not meant to make sense. It's meant to invite us into the mystery. Because that is what we have lost, is a sense of mystery. Mystery needs to be the first word on our lips. Any time we talk about faith, spirituality, religion, mysticism, mystery is what it's all about. We're not talking about facts or truth. And unfortunately, so often we talk about doctrine or dogma. All of which are frames with which we enter the mystery. They're frames with which we discuss the mystery. 
There's the great mystery of life, the universe, and everything. There are the smaller mysteries like love, justice, compassion, healing, redemption. These mysteries are at the heart of everything that we are and everything that we do. And if we don't bring back the word, if we don't bring back the term, if we don't focus on the idea of mystery itself as being the heart of everything, then we get locked into these arguments over who is right and who is wrong when we're dealing with things where there really isn't a right and wrong, factually speaking. See, the right and wrong when it comes to faith and religion and spirituality is an ethical right and wrong. You see, it is wrong to tell somebody that God is someone to be obeyed, that the priesthood is someone to be obeyed, that the clergy, whatever it calls itself, is there to be obeyed. Because obedience is not a virtue, it is a vice. It is telling people to submit their God-given will and intellect to another person so that they can have power over them. And so we can talk about the ethics that make obedience wrong. We can talk about the obedience that makes hate speech wrong and how the morality of that is problematic. But in discussing whether or not it's appropriate to talk about is God male or female? Is uh, this form of prayer right or wrong? Or Well, that really is a moral issue. It's not an ethical issue. It's not an issue of fact. And when we treat issues of doctrine as if they were issues of fact, issues of truth... We are, one, obscuring the mysteries that they actually are and preventing people from actually engaging with them in a way that could bring meaning and purpose into their lives. But we are also contributing to the great lie that any of us have firm and concrete answers to these questions. Death is a mystery. It's one that all of us will enter one day. And it is one that we have touched throughout our lives as people have passed on. We can discuss the experiences that people have had with the dying. We can discuss near-death experiences. We can discuss those experiences many of us have had of feeling the presence of those who have gone beyond. Our experience with the saints... But that does not mean that any of us know anything about the mystery of death. It's a question. It's something for us to talk about, to banter about, to share our collective experiences around, but never to believe that we have a firm and full grasp on what it is. All mysteries are like that. And so when we are giving in to the framing of those who 
are very often only interested in religion or faith so that they can control others or make a profit from them, we're empowering them and emboldening them. We need instead to bring back mystery. Bring back the cloud of unknowing and explain to people, no, we don't have all of the answers, but we are looking for them together. And while we may not find the answers, we can find meaning. We can find purpose in these things. And that is not something to be sneezed at. So I invite you to join me as we go forward with this podcast and with all the other things that I'm working on to enter this mystery together. I would like to share more of our collective experience. So feel free to share yours with me so that I can share it with others. There's so much good that we could be doing for the world. And yeah, I know a lot of us are bound up in the environmental concerns of what are going on right now. And yes, that is valid and necessary. But for too many others, they have an experience of life that is sour, that is dark, that is without hope, meaning, or purpose. And I hate to have to be the one who keeps saying this, but when life doesn't feel worth living, it is difficult for us to get up the interest, the strength and the fortitude necessary to do anything to save the planet or to save others. And that is, of course, what this is all about. The more we can be demoralized the more the moneyed interest that are causing harm to the planet can get away with it. The more we can be made to fight amongst ourselves, the more the moneyed interest who are in, looking only at their own bottom line and their own wealth can get away with all of the things that they are doing. That's the point. That That's what this is all about. So maybe, just maybe, we can have a little hope that by making the world a better place, in whatever small ways that we can, in helping people to find meaning, no matter how little meaning that is, in helping people to find purpose, in their lives through whatever means that might be, we are, in fact, saving the world. Because yes, we need to reduce our plastic and our carbon emissions and all of those things. And there are many people striving for that, and I support them wholeheartedly. Reforestation, all of it. But until we can get a critical mass of people who feel that life is in fact worth living and get those people to realize 
that they want to do something to save the earth for future generations, we are not going to win on the big things. We're not going to win moving forward. And it's hard to say. It's hard for me to say it. And so that's where my focus is going to be. I'm going to be talking about prayer and the saints and the spirits and all the little things that we can do to give our lives meaning and to help other people find the meaning in their lives. And hopefully, in so doing, I'm doing my part to make the world a better place. And you all will be doing your part to make the world a better place. And then the wheel will turn and people will realize that maybe, just maybe, this is a world worth saving. There's a reason so many people are interested in apocalyptic death cults. There's a reason so many people are interested in apocalyptic films and media. If you don't see this world as savable, as something worthy of saving, then maybe it just needs to get destroyed. Maybe something better will be made afterwards, or maybe that'll just be the end. But what we need to be doing is making people see the beauty that is here now, to find the light of God that shines from every particle of the universe. Because I really do believe what it says at the beginning of the Gospel of John, that the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. So over on the Substack at creationspaths.substack.com, which again is linked in the show notes, I'm going to be talking about what I'm reading, what I'm learning, and what I'm meditating on. I have started rereading Celtic Spirituality, which is a series and collection of quotes on the topic, and I have started reading a book by John Scott's John Scottus Eregina on the Gospel of John, and I am going to be sharing my thoughts, my insights, what I'm gaining from these quotes, from these ideas. And I'd like to invite you along on that journey. Not because I think my ideas are the right ones, but because I think together we can find meaning in them. Thank you for listening. And until next time, may the light of God shine all around you. May you hear the voice of wisdom crying on the street and invite her in. May God bless you and keep you in all of your ways.